So why does the Scripture spend so much time telling David's story? And, and what God has in mind for you and I is He wants to reveal to you and I what He's like in the context of a story. And if you listen over these next several weeks as we get into David's story, we're going to see him as a young boy when he's a shepherd. He becomes an unlikely hero who kills a giant. He becomes loved by all of Israel and then hated by the king of Israel at the time. David ends up on the run. He's running for his life from the king. He spends many years uh, just running through the wilderness trying to get away from this kind of maniac killer king. He unites Israel. God does amazing things through him, and then he, he lusts after a woman that's not his wife, gets her pregnant, has her husband killed, marries her, and then his son dies, and then he goes through a little bit of a revival, things are going well, but then he's incredibly neglectful to some of his children. His, his, the whole nation of Israel just falls apart, and it's an utter chaos. One of his other sons rises up takes over control of Israel, so David's on the run again because his son was like usurped the throne, right? And, and then David, that, that all gets worked out. His son gets defeated and, and, and is actually killed, and David grieves over that to the point where Israel is, is so, uh, they're not sure how to respond to this king who, who's more grieved over the death of this enemy than he is celebrating what the, the army had just done. Like, he's this incredibly flawed person but in the story of David, we see how God interacts with him. And so, where we're going to start, uh, I'm going to start by reading one of David's psalms, and it's Psalm chapter 19. If you want to turn there, you can. C.S. Lewis uh, said that he thought this was the greatest psalm in the whole book of Psalms. And it's a really, really powerful psalm. And if you follow our uh, email that comes out on Fridays, I encourage us to read it this week, but also a couple weeks ago, um, I encouraged us to read it. There's a, a famous philosopher from many years ago, his name was Immanuel Kant, and I, I want to read to you what he said because it, it relates to what's going on in this psalm. So Kant said, he said, two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe, the starry heavens above and the moral law within. So two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe, the starry heavens above and the moral law within. And so Kant was this philosopher who was just trying to figure out how human beings work. And, and he pointed out, he said, like, people everywhere, they're just, their mind is consumed with the starry heavens. Like, like the, the, the high Caleb and I did the other day, like it was just stunning being out on the sleeping giant and just seeing the beauty of creation just absolutely stunning and beautiful and magnificent. So people, ever since people were, were created, have just been in awe of creation. But there's this other thing that we wrestle with, and it's this moral law. Like, why do I, why do I feel bad about some of the things that I do? Why do I struggle with, like, bad feelings when I take something that's not mine, when I'm rude to somebody that I shouldn't be rude to? when I'm selfish, when I'm greedy? Like, where, what is this, this, this moral, moral struggle that goes on within my heart and mind? And, and David hits on that. This is one of my favorite psalms because of, cause, cause of how David hits on both of these, these extremes. So Psalm chapter 19, and it should be up on the screen if you want to follow along there. The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So these first six verses, David is writing about creation. He's writing about the sun. He's saying like, and everybody, every generation has always been just obsessed with the sun. And at this time, when David wrote this psalm, many people would have actually worshipped the sun. So people would look up into the sky and say, well, that must be God of some sort, because look at the power, look at the beauty, look at the heat coming from it, look at the way that it covers the whole earth, right? And so David is just pointing to that, like, look at the beauty of creation. But then he goes from there, and he, and he, and he sees beyond creation. David sees beyond the sun, and he says, someone's behind the sun. Like, in the same way that you can't go anywhere on earth and not be affected by the sun in some way, there's someone behind the sun who affects everything and everyone, whose heat is hotter, whose radiance is brighter, whose magnificence is even more magnificent. So verse 7, he goes on and he gets a little bit deeper. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So in the second half of the psalm, David, he, he starts out talking about creation, okay? And, and you've got to know this. You don't see this when you read it in, in English as clearly, but in the first six verses, when David's talking about the sun and he's talking about the beauty of creation, he uses this term for God, and the term he uses is, is El, okay? It's the Hebrew word El. And it's like a generic way of saying God. It's, it's like referring to God as the creator, okay? So he's talking about the beauty of creation. It'd be like me going and, and being at the Sleeping Giant Park, and I'm looking around at the, the mountains and the beauty, and I'm like, man, like this God, this creator, he's amazing. Look at what he made. Look at the way these mountains just kind of pop up from the water, and look at the way the sun comes over top of them, and like, it's just amazing. You've experienced this, right? But then he goes, when he gets to verse 7, he actually uses God's personal name, Yahweh. So when he's talking about creation, he's talking about God in kind of a generic way. It's like there's this creator, and we, we see what he's like through what he's created. But then in the second half of the psalm, he starts using this word Yahweh, which is God's personal name. So everybody in the world like, has this, this experience of God, and, and the Scriptures make it clear. Everybody's seen the majesty and the beauty of God, no matter what worldview or religion you come from, if you've seen creation, you see the beauty and the majesty of God. That's his first book, creation. But then his second book 
is, is the Scriptures. And David gets into this in, in verses 7 through 11. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. And, and he's getting into, like, you can actually get to know this God. So, so nature kind of reveals to you his grandeur, his beauty, his majesty. But there's a way to actually know God intimately. And if you, if you read the Bible chronologically, uh, I don't think there's any way of knowing this for 100% sure, uh, but most people would believe this psalm was written after David lusted after Bathsheba, got her pregnant, killed her husband. Like, it was written after that. So, he, he's writing about this, and, and he's talking about how God's law is perfect because you know what? David has experienced breaking God's law. David has experienced breaking the heart of God. And he writes at the end of it, he says, who can discern his errors? And he goes, God, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. David is so aware of his sin and his wickedness, but he's encountered God in a personal way, and he just cries out to him. He's like, God, like, preserve me, save me, protect me. And he's using this personal name of God because he's, he's gotten to know who God is. You know, the, this might surprise you uh, about me because I'm a real nature enthusiast. Like, if I ever get the chance to go and do an adventure in the beauty of creation, I take it. But I often feel, when I'm, like, in nature, I often feel distant from God. I talked uh, a couple weeks ago about being in Alaska when I visited my sister, and I just remember, like, we, like being up in the mountains, and I'm looking around, and as a Jesus follower, I was aware that God created all this, but I just felt so small and insignificant. Like whenever I'm in nature, whenever I see God's creative ability, I just feel really small, and I feel almost like far from Him. And not, not everybody feels that way. For some of you, you that's probably how you connect with God the most. <laughs> like Maybe for some of you, you get in nature and you feel God's peace. You feel his presence. You feel him in some significant and real way. That, that's, that's a legitimate way some people connect with God. And what surprises me, I've learned this about myself, especially over the last couple of years, because I would have thought that's how I would connect with God, because I just love nature. But I often just feel so small. I feel so disconnected, because it's just like nature and beauty, is, it's so big. And I'm like, and, and, and God feels distant sometimes, and what resonates with me personally when I read this psalm is, is David acknowledges God's creative ability, but then when he starts talking about God in a personal way, listen to what he, he says from verses 7 to 11. And this will be up on the, the screen again, Jacob. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The Scriptures, and, and what I want to emphasize today as we start this series, is that God is a storyteller. God reveals to you and I what He's actually like in the form of a story. 
You know, it's one thing for Christians to say God is good, but what does that actually mean in our lives? Or God is a judge. What does that mean in our lives? If, if nature, if creation is your only reference point, God could seem terrifying. Anybody been to the Niagara Falls? Anybody ever seen it, Niagara Falls? Like, so if, if that's the only picture you have in your mind of God, as long as you're standing off where the, like the gate holds you back, that's beautiful. But if you're right down underneath the Niagara Falls, it's absolutely terrifying. Or if you're, right, or if you're like floating towards it somehow, so you broke through the barrier, and I mean, there's stories of people going over the Niagara Falls in barrels. You guys have heard those stories, right? Like, you imagine floating towards that thing? It's an absolutely terrifying thought. So if your only reference to, to what God is like is, is nature and beauty, it's like there's this terrifying side. But God, in His grace, has decided to reveal to you and I what He's like in the form of a story. You know, and I want to I say this to you. We talked about this. Victor's here and Kiva. We were talking about stories on, on Tuesday night at our recovery meeting. And uh, I've been talking to Kiva about sharing her testimony sometime. <laughs> so do you want to come right now? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but we were just talking about uh, testimonies and what it means to share your story. And Victor said something that was really cool. Victor was like, you know, your, your testimony isn't your story. It's God's story. And I think we get that wrong a lot of times, especially in this world. There's, do you know, like, in the world you and I live in, outside of the Scriptures, outside of being challenged with God's Word, you, you and I are told over and over again that we are so important, that your story matters, all these things. And there's truth to that. It's like what Dave was saying at the beginning. You're seen. God sees you. But there's a bigger story that's happening in this world, and it's God's story. And you know what's profound about the story of David, this flawed human that connects with a holy God? Is we actually, it's God's grand story that David gets caught up in. David makes a mess. David gets his own thinking in the way and does all kinds of messed up things. But the, but the grand story that we're being told is God's story of love and grace and mercy and redemption. I don't know if you know the name Murray Sinclair, but he's a really influential Canadian. I think I got a quote from him. Um, he was a, a really uh, big part of writing the, the Truth and Reconciliation Act in, in Canada, um, did a lot of, he was a senator, uh, a judge, um, was a real advocate for truth and reconciliation coming out of, you know, all of the things that were revealed about residential schools and things like that. And, and Murray Sinclair points out, and he was talking about First Nations people, um, but I think he's onto something, and I think this relates to just human beings in general. He said that there's four questions that are really important for people wrestling with their identity. And the four questions are, where do I come from, where am I going, why am I here, and who am I? So for people that don't have a sense of place or don't have a sense of purpose or don't have a sense of identity, Murray Sinclair was saying, like, th these four questions are absolutely key. Where do I come from, where am I going, why am I here, and who am I? And you know that God, like... In the form of stories, God's desire is to answer those questions for you and I. It really is God's story that when, when you come into a, and maybe you're not there quite yet, but when you encounter Jesus, when you come to realize what Christ has done for you, like these questions get answered where you realize where you've come from, 
where you're headed with Him, why you're here. God reveals His purpose in your life. Who am I? God reveals these things, and He does it in the form of a story. So in the, I want you to just think, and I'm, we're, not, we're not reading this one, and we're going to get there um, in this series, but in the David and Bathsheba story, that's probably the most, other than David killing Goliath, the story where David lusts after another woman, has her husband killed, all these things, that's probably one of the more famous stories we see about David. And do you know what we learned? I want you to think about that story, okay? So, and if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to even go, go read it. But basically, David, at the point that we read the story about David and Bathsheba, he's, he's king. He is the most powerful man in Israel. And, and, for, and David was a powerful warrior king. And for, for whatever reason, Israel's army was going into battle, and David was usually leading the charge. But for whatever reason, at, this, at the point in the story where David meets Bathsheba, he stays back while his army goes out. And he's up on his rooftop, and he sees Bathsheba bathing, and he lusts after her. And so he sends for her. She has, he has her sent to his palace, and he takes advantage of her in some way. It doesn't give us a lot of detail other than that David gets her, her pregnant. David panics when Bathsheba becomes pregnant. He has her husband sent back from battle because he's hoping that his, her husband's going to connect with her and that the, the pregnancy will be covered up, right? But Uriah is one of David's top men. He's actually one of David's 30 top men in his army. He was so faithful, he wouldn't go be with his wife. He said, why would I go be with my wife while my, while my fellow brothers are fighting a battle? I won't do it. And so David didn't know what to do. He's like, how am I going to cover up that I got his wife pregnant? So he sends a letter with Uriah back to the front lines, and, and, and the general is told in this letter that Uriah carried, make sure Uriah ends up on the front lines, and when the battle is fierce, when it's crazy, when the arrows are coming, pull all the men back and Uriah will be killed. So then it happens. So then David's able, he covers this up, right? Covers up his, his sin, he thinks. And then what's crazy in this story is God is angry with David for what he's done. And you know what God does? He sends a prophet to confront David. And the prophet comes back to David and he tells David a made-up story. Okay, we're all about stories. God uses stories all the time. He tells David a made-up story about a guy in the kingdom who stole um, a lamb from a really poor man. And, and, and David is enraged, and the, and the guy that's telling the story, this prophet, David looks at him and he says, that man should be killed for what he did because he took, he took something from somebody who was poor and, and he didn't need it. And the prophet looks at David and he says, you're that man. You are the one that did what I just described. And look at your anger. You wanted this guy dead. What does that say about what you did to Uriah with the story of Bathsheba. Like, it's this crazy story. Like, if you don't think the Bible's interesting, my land, get, like, dig, okay? Dig into it. So, so David, like, passes judgment on himself. God sets him up to do that through the form of a story, okay? So then all of a sudden, David is pinned against a wall, okay? He's just, he's just pronounced his own death sentence. God decides to show him mercy. God says, David, because of what you've done, there's going to be consequences, but I'm going to be with you. So David's, David's reconciled to God, and you gotta, like, I won't get into the whole thing because um, we're probably going to take a Sunday and focus on that specific story. But what I want you to know is like, when we read verses 7 to 11 from Psalm 19, David talks about the law of the Lord is perfect, the testimony of the Lord is sure, the precepts of the Lord are right. Well, all of those things are like great in theory, and you can listen to them as a Christian and go, yeah, God is good, He's true, He's right, He's beautiful. 
But until it actually gets applied to real life, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. But in the form of that story, we see God's judgment, but we also see His grace, His mercy, His compassion. We see the way God acts through story. And, and your story, my story, is similar to David's story if we're living in a relationship with God. You know, Dave, Dave opened the service by talking about just this, like the low that, that, that him and Shay have been experiencing for the last while but then also just having this sense of being seen by God. You know, my desire as we, as we get into this story is that when you struggle, and I want you to hear this, when you struggle with, with lust, that you'll remember David and Bathsheba, Uriah, but also God in the midst of that story because it's really God's story more than David's. When you, when you struggle with being ridiculed and cursed, that you'll remember David and a guy named Shimei who just hurls stones at David at, at David's lowest point in life. We'll talk about that story to come. When you face an impossible situation, that you'll remember David's trust in God when he faced Goliath. When you want to worship God wholeheartedly, that you'll remember the way David danced when they brought the ark back into Jerusalem. The Scriptures say that David, he basically stripped down to just a linen and he was dancing before all of Israel, worshiping and praising. And his wife looked at him from the window and was like, that's so embarrassing. Why are you doing and you know what David's response to her was? He says, I'll become even more undignified than this to worship God, right? When you struggle with God's harshness that you'll remember, we're going to talk about a guy named Uzzah who died, and David was so angry at the way Uzzah died. These stories, okay, so, so it's one thing to know that, that God is, is, is sometimes harsh or he's judgmental or he's kind or he's compassionate, but unless you can connect that to a story, it makes no difference at all. And once you start to see the way God reveals himself in a story, you'll actually start to see it in your own life. And, and that's the, the deepest desire of my heart as a pastor, is that you will start to see God's interaction in your life. And you'll start to realize, like, my life, my life story isn't centered around me. It's actually centered around God. If you think your life's story centers around you, what a... What a discouraging thought, honestly, right? If you're the one that's got to fix the struggles and the issues and it's all up to you. But if you realize, like, no, no, like, I'm flawed, yes. There's things that have gone on in my life that shouldn't be, but, like, this story is actually God's story. And when you connect with a story like David's, you start to realize who God is and what it's like to connect with him. David was a very flawed human being, but he had developed a relationship with God. And so he, here's, here's what's really important. This will be a, there's a slide on this. So who is telling the story? Let's see, make sure I wrote it the way I put it. Okay, yeah. Who's, who's telling the story? The storyteller always has a message. So you, you probably know this about me already. I may have shared this story before, but I, I tend to be a very optimistic person. Okay? So, um, and, and I've got a reputation for this. If I go and do a hike... People will say, hey, how was that hike? And I'll be like, oh, it was awesome. You should do it. It's great, right? Like, I've had people, I have a professor back at Kingswood University, the school I went to, that was angry at me because there was this pretty difficult hike that I did that it was a, it was a long day hike, and I used to take students on it. And, and he was, like, in his late 50s, early 60s at the time, and uh, he was, like, he wanted to come with us one year to this, this hike. It was in Baxter State Park. It's the end of the Appalachian Trail. 
And uh, he's like, Nathan, do you think, that, you think I could do it? And I was like, totally. It's awesome. You'll love it. Right? So anyways, we get doing this hike. And uh, it was like coming on dusk. And, and Mike was not down off the mountain yet. Uh, and, and the rest of us were all down. And we had to go back in to rescue Mike, this, this professor, at, after dark. And uh, I had him come preach at, at the place I was ministering a couple years later. And he told the story about how he's like, Nathan's a liar. <laughs> That's how he opened up. You just want you to know about Nathan that, that Nathan's a liar. And he told the whole story about the hike and how difficult it was. And he was like, he said it was fine. And he's like, he was not taken into consideration, you know, kind of where I was at. Um, and so the reason I want to point that out is like, who's telling the story? Because the storyteller always has a message. So and I've, you know, just confessed to you that I probably wasn't totally upfront with Mike in his question. But in my perspective, the hike was totally awesome. It was doable. It was great. But you've got to take into consideration the storyteller. And the thing about the Scriptures, okay, and, and the reason that Christians, Jesus followers, love the Scriptures is because this is, we call it, it's God's Word. And you can trust what God reveals in His Word. The message that the storyteller wants to communicate is absolutely vital and so important. Let me give you an example. So in the story of David and Bathsheba that I briefly told, I've thought about this a lot. Like, there's some movies that I watch or TV shows that make me feel uncomfortable because it, like, it almost makes it sound like an affair or lust is kind of juicy and exciting. You watch movies like that? You ever watch a movie where it's like almost makes the affair sound like it's a good thing? Like maybe Titanic, okay? You know, some of these movies where it's like it sounds like, oh, this is, this is really good. Um, I watched a guy, it was a young guy on Instagram recently, posted a video about a show that was really popular when I was younger. It was called That 70s Show. And uh, this guy on Instagram, he was talking about how he grew up in a, a Christian home, and he had learned from the scriptures about what God says about sex and waiting till you're married, and, and he, he had believed that this was true. But he was watching this show, That 70s Show, and he said he started getting this idea that, like, you know, sex before marriage isn't that, it's not that bad. It's probably fine. Probably something you should do, you know, so that you know what you're getting into and, and all these different things. And, and uh, when he was telling this testimony on, on Instagram, on this, this story that he shared, he was saying, I'm not saying that that show was a bad show, but he was comparing, he was saying the message that was being communicated in that show was not a message that lined up with the truth of, of what God has revealed to us in his word. But when you read a story like what happened with David and Bathsheba, the storyteller, because this is God's word, God has a specific message he wants you and I to hear. You know that? There's all kinds of stories in this world. There's all kinds of things being said that we could, we could hold on to and believe as true. But if we want to truly understand what it means to follow Jesus, we've got to be people that are connected to God's story. And the, the person telling the story always has an agenda. And that's why as followers of Jesus, it is absolutely vital that we hear the story that God wants us to hear. Thomas King wrote a book called The Truth About Stories. He said, once a story is told, it cannot be called back. Once told, it is loose in the world. So you have to be careful with the stories you tell, and you have to watch out for the stories that you are told. I want to ask you this question as I close this, and this is, again, this is an intro to, we're going to really dive into David's story. But what stories 
are you listening to? Leslie Newbegin was a, a missionary in India for 40 years. Uh, he died several years ago. Listen, listen to what he says. This will be up on the screen. He says, if the biblical story is not the one that really controls our thinking, then inevitably we shall be swept into the story the world tells about itself. If the biblical story is not the one that really controls our thinking, then inevitably we will be swept into the story the world tells about itself. You know that the world has a story it's telling that it wants you to believe about all kinds of things, about the kind of person you should be, about the kinds of things you should do, about what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, about what values you have, whatever. Okay, there's a story that the world is telling. But God has given us, in His second book, okay, He's given us His Word, and He reveals to us what He's like. He reveals to us what His values are. He reveals to, to you and I what it would look like to be a devoted Jesus follower. But the story God tells is very different than the story the world tells. And if your mind is dominated by the story that the world is telling, then the way that you respond to situations, the way that you feel sort of on the inside is going to be dominated by that story that's in your mind and heart. And, and what I'm hoping, what my desire is with this, with this series as we jump into this series, David, Flawed Human, Holy God, is that we start to get the stories of Scripture into our minds and hearts in such a way that we start to see ourselves in God's story. So that when you face challenges, when you face difficulties, what comes to your mind? The stories of God where you're like, no, like, God's going to get me through this. God wants me to turn away from this. God wants me to embrace this, whatever it is. You know what's fascinating about David is he's, he's so, there's such a, like a, a human aspect to him. You know that in, in all of David's story that there's like no miracle? It's the longest story told of any biblical character. And the Bible is filled with miracles, people being raised from the dead, people being, you know, healed of being sick. But in David's story, he, like, he doesn't, like, you don't see that. He hears from God a lot. God leads him and directs him. But he's just one of those people that, like, he just goes through life, and it's almost like just so kind of like this normal life. But he had this relationship with God that he had developed, and God just does incredible things in and through that relationship. But David learns that the story is actually God's story. I'm going to read this, this to, to close, and then I'll call the worship team up after this. Uh, Caleb shared this on Tuesday night at our recovery group. Safia, is that how you say his name? Safia. There's this guy named uh, Safia who started uh, a ministry helping people who are addicted to pornography uh, to get away from it. He had a major addiction to pornography and uh, God gave him freedom. And I just want you to, and he, and he wrote about it on, on Facebook. Caleb shared it with our group, and, and he texted it to me, and I was like, man, I, I want to share this, because it has a lot to do with what we're talking about right now with the story of God. Uh, he says, so lately, I've been consciously taking time to reflect, ponder, and go for walks to process. It's made me super grateful for a lot of things. Chief among them is seven years of not watching pornography. When I interview on podcasts or get a chance to do Q&As with audiences, people often want to know, what is the secret trick, the silver bullet that fixes it all? And as we all know, there is no such thing. 
sort of. Here's the thing. A lot of recovery is the same. Boring, mundane work, day in, day out. Sometimes it feels like they're doing nothing, when in reality they're doing more than you could ever know. But there's one thing that I can say definitely helped, and oftentimes I could feel the difference when I did it. Some days it was extensive, other times all I could do was squeeze in one or two verses, it didn't matter. Regular exposure to the Word of God does something to you physically, mentally, and obviously spiritually. It doesn't cost you money, it doesn't even cost you a lot of time. Just open, read, and repeat, and it won't take long before you notice the difference. So for you, maybe, maybe pornography is not the struggle. Maybe you struggle with, with anxiety or with fear or whatever. Here, here's what I want to say to you. God's Word reveals to us what He's like in the form of a story. Whatever you're facing, you will find God speaks to in His Word. But if the dominant story in your head is the story that the world is telling about itself, you will be powerless to overcome. But if the dominant story in your head is the story of the Scriptures that God has revealed to us, you will be able to overcome as you trust Jesus, the power of His Holy Spirit, because you will have connected with what God has said about Himself. I'm just going to invite the team to come up. We're going to close with a couple songs. And uh, just while they're getting ready, I just want to, with a message like this, I always want to say, like, we cannot overcome our, our struggles in our own strength and power. It is, it is by the power of Jesus Christ. And, and if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've not trusted in, in what He's done for you on the cross, today's the day. But I also just want to encourage you, because I think for a lot of us, we probably don't fill our minds with the story that God has revealed to us in the Scripture. And I just want to encourage you to fill your mind and heart with God's story. And as we jump into this series about David, this flawed human and holy God, just recognize the flawedness of David, but then how connected he is with this holy, all-powerful God. And how, because of his relationship with God, David was able to overcome obstacles that took out many people. And God's desire for you and I is that we would realize that this, this story that we're living is actually his story. And I believe God wants to do incredible things in and through you, uh, as you as you connect to Him, as you live in full surrender to Him. Let's just pray, and then we'll, we'll sing these last couple of songs. Lord, God, I just want to thank You for Your Word. Um, Lord, probably many of us listening to this uh, spend very little time in Your Word. And I just pray, Lord, that You would give Give us, as a community of Jesus followers, a hunger to know the way that you've revealed yourself through stories. And Lord, that, that, that the story that you tell would be the one that dominates our mind. Pe- people everywhere are telling stories. Like my, my friend who told stories that, that some of them were made up and he had purposes for that. Lord, a lot of us have bought into stories that, that don't come from you, that actually have uh, wrong motives behind why they're being told. But Lord, you've given us your word. You've, and David emphasizes it in this psalm. He talks about how your precepts are perfect and true and, and your way is right and, and, and you actually want to restore us to relationship with you and, and you keep us from things that are destructive, Lord. And I just pray that you would create in, in us here at TC, Lord, just a hunger for, for your word and Lord, that we would fill our minds and hearts with truths from your word 
so that when we face the difficulties and the challenges, Lord, that we can fall back on how you've revealed yourself and that we will experience victory in our own lives. We love you, God. We worship you. We praise you in Jesus' name.